All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, wait, I lied. We've got to tell you what happened. So uh, our co-host, Nick Garber, we scheduled all of these for Tuesdays and Wednesdays because that was his day off. Uh, and then his nice employer decided to change that. And so we are booked through next month around his schedule because, you know, when you've got authors that are busy, you need to do that. And now he can't make it. So he apologizes. We're going to do some episodes. Uh, Wednesdays will drop the drops will be a book review of just the three of us. But we're going to make a point of him not becoming a stranger. And, uh, and we're going to try to fix this so we can get him on more because he enjoys it too. Uh, and we enjoy him making fun of Seska. I mean, Seska likes his company. <laughs> I'm our right. I'll take any company that's nerdy. No, maybe. I yeah. don't know. He talks nerdy to you, so it's all good. All right. So now. That's, the, uh, that's a good say. music video. It's hilarious. I think you're the one who showed it to me. I am. Um, but uh, but we're here not to talk about us or Nick, who's hiding, I don't know, doing whatever uh, ICE agents do. He's eating donuts. Probably, because mm. he's a police officer. Donuts. Eat donuts. But donuts. we're here to talk about Mr. Robert W. Ross. So, Mr. Ross, Mr. Robert Ross, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. I'm Robert Ross. I'm a uh, contemporary fantasy and sci-fi author. I've got about uh, seven books in market now uh, in both of those uh, genres. But today, I think we're going to be talking about fantasy. Yep. We are, because who doesn't love a good fantasy novel? <laughs> nice. Nice pause. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Absolutely not. All right. So uh, the first uh, part of the introduction done. Now, dear listener, we get to tell you how we first found them. So I actually was introduced to him by Seska when we were hosting one of the anthologies. And she says, you have to reach out to this guy. He writes the good words. And uh, and so you want him in your book. And so we reached out and he sent the good words and he's in the book. And if you check out his Amazon page linked in the show notes, you'll be able to find all of his good words. But uh, that is not how you met him, Doc. So can you tell us how you met the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Robert W. Ross? So Robert Ross, I met through my tenureship as the track director for fantasy literature at Dragon Con. He reached out and he said, hey, um, I'm a new guy. Tell me what I should do. And I said, well, congratulations. First thing is, no, after being accepted, <laughs> when, I'm like, first thing first is exactly what you're doing, which is to email track directors, go look at, you can look at the past programming that we've done and you can see what jives for you. Also follow me on, uh, follow the Facebook page that, for the track because I put panel ideas up there and he goes, okay. And uh, a lot of authors then disappear, which is okay. Because, I mean, I'm, I've now given you a homework assignment and nobody really likes to do homework assignments. But he actually came back like a week later with this page long email of, so I, these panels from last year, I, I have something to say on that issue. So it was a romance panel, actually, we were doing. And he goes, I don't write romance, but I have a romance subplot. And I really feel like I, I could add something on that topic. Okay, so he ended up with a bunch of panels because he actually reached out and uh, sacrificed himself. <laughs> and um, but also he was very kind and he does a lot of giveaways and he 
did um you've donated a bunch of books, set of sentinels their sentinels of creation books as a prize actually so we had a whole bunch of books to give away for him, for him which is always nice and uh because we have lots of fans who love to and some posters and magnets and yes. it was it was fun it was it was a lot of fun and then uh, did some um, some stealth signings because uh, yeah. people like to just pick pick things up and they think am I going to steal this but then you have it in written and they're going no you didn't just steal this book it's yours <laughs> yes and um, and it actually turns out that he lives really close to where I live which was kind of neat because there was a point where I'm like okay. <laughs> How, how much have you researched? Like, where the hell do you live? Because it was all those details that either OCD research uh, would get you or actually. Hmm? Oh, you just keep freezing, pausing at weird moments. Uh-oh. So yeah. that's how I met make Robert. Sure, make, make sure Viking isn't, isn't streaming, taking up your bandwidth. Uh-oh. No, no, no. It has been told if he comes in here, you get docked 50 cents. <laughs> no, no, not not coming in if he's using your Wi-Fi, which is why you're freezing if he's streaming something to the tablet. Nope. I have possession of the tablet. There oh. you go. What a good there mama. Go. The internet gods are just mad at you. All right. So that is that. Now, Seska, we have to ask him the most important question. Well, we don't ask him about pineapple on pizza because you said we can't do, discuss religion here. So ask him the other religion questions. Okay, the other religion questions are Star Trek, Star Wars, or Firefly? Firefly. Good answer. I'm surprised. I know, because my books have a, a dusting of Star Trek. Oh. I mean, it's more of a nuanced, a nuanced answer. So, so Star Trek is multiple series, right? So, so there's all different ones. Now, Star Trek Next Generation, mm, yeah. Um, the uh, um, Firefly, the whole the whole series is great. Oh wait, the whole series is one season. The because, whole the whole thirteen hours. Yeah, because it, because idiots, right? Um, and then Star Wars, it would be awesome, except Kathleen Kennedy. So yeah, <laughs> can't control that, unfortunately. So. So Star Wars was great. The, those three movies changed my life. They were so good. I wish they would make more, but what are we going to do? But they didn't. There weren't didn't. any more. Well, I, any... they did make they did make the Mandalorian. So that that yeah. was. <laughs> All right, we're going to steal her thunder and we're going to give it back to okay. her. Okay. So, and this is actually particularly apropos as we were discussing a fantasy novel this time: Potterverse, Game of Thrones, or Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Nice. Very classic. Good answer. Absolutely. So. Tolkien, Catholic guy. Got to go with him. It's my <laughs> Okay. So what is your first love? Sci-fi or fantasy? Sci-fi. Okay. But it's, but it's not my first writing love. Uh, my first writing love is fantasy, but my first love is sci-fi, meaning I was a kid and um, I was fascinated uh, with sci-fi. Okay. But it came, but fantasy came right on the heels once I found that I could listen to Lord of the Rings when I was supposed to be asleep by twisting the radio just right, which, which dates me, I know, but. 
It's okay. We've got no judgment here. It's a judgment-free zone. Yeah, I mean, look, Jr. doesn't even have a face. Um, he doesn't. Tragic boating accident. I lost it in a boating accident. Um, so what is it that you love about the genre? About fantasy? Sure. Yeah, um, mostly about fantasy because we're talking about fantasy. What is it that right. got you lo in love with writing it? Well, to start with, I, I have I love elves, especially really cute female elves. So um, that's just my own thing. But you know, when I play Elder Scrolls, my son comes in and goes, "Dad, why are you playing a girl elf?" I'm like, "If I'm going to look at an elf all day long, it's going to be a really cute girl elf." So that aside, um, with with sci-fi, your magic system was created for you. It's called physics. So you, you can bend it, you can tweak it, you can hand wave it, but it's there for you. Uh, with fantasy, you make no, your no, own no, magic. One of mechanics is much more magic than actual straight up physics. Normal, traditional physics, not so evil. No, it's not. But when you start trying to get past what we understand as physics and you're starting getting into FTL and, and dark matter and all those kinds of things, you know, then then it starts getting kind of kind of squirrely, right? But with fantasy, the, your bigger issue is creating the limiting factor, right? So we have a limiting factor in physics. It's called light speed, right? So in fantasy, the, when you create your magic system, you don't have a limiting factor, so you have to create one. Otherwise, your books suck because your your magician or whoever can wield the powers of magic is is OP. So you have to create a limiting factor, and then you have to keep track of all that stuff because if you become in any way at all successful, your readers will tell you that you're being stupid and they will not be kind about it. So they will remember that there's a limiting factor that you forgot uh, and they will point it out to you. So which is why oh, no, I no, have no. alpha readers and beta readers so that they get, I, I catch those mistakes early. Well, you've heard my statement about fandom, right? The devil is into details and so are the fans. But I love the devil fans. I love them because then they're passionate. I love them. Well, and you know that they love you, and that it's always good to have somebody who calls you on your um, mistakes. Yes, and the last uh, fan that I had that did that it has been sentenced to at least three books of beta reading. It wasn't so, me, was it? No, it was not you. You, okay. you, you, gr you graciously gifted your your beta reading efforts early on. This was a this is a gentleman <laughs> that uh, one of my patrons. So so what a nice thing for me to do to my patron. <laughs> he pays you and you give him homework. Exactly. You um, so that's definitely the education system in action. Um, yes. What is your first memory of engaging in science fiction or fantasy? Was it watching, reading, playing games? How did you discover this? Uh, so for science fiction, it was watching Johnny Sacco's Flying Robot uh, on UHF which for the kiddies out there is a, is a television frequency. Um, channels, uh, I think 16 and up, 33 and up. Anyway, so I would be, uh, I'd come home from school and I would watch Johnny Sacco's Flying Robot. Uh, loved we it. Found, we found your cup for, <laughs> for your solution. You know, I need this there. mug. You know who uh, awesome. invented this mug with no, a 39-ish oh. for its scientific number? Chris Winder, former guest uh, host of the show. Nice, and it even has sci-fi shenanigans on it. Yep. Why did I not know we had that mug? Damn it. You can it's still awesome. buy them. It's a Zazzle. 
I'll post the link for you. Um, so, so that so that was sci-fi, but then right on the heels of that was Lord of the Rings. So I jumped into Lord of the Rings, listening to the dramatized uh, versions of it. And that's where, that's really why I decided all my books um, should be audiobooks. It was a combination of that early Lord of the Rings experience and that uh, I have a special needs kid and he has a really hard time reading. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that uh, he could enjoy my stories uh, and other people who had those challenges could as well. So you, um, you have a fabulous narrator. So. I do, and an even more fabulous friend. So, so we got to know each other about six years ago, six, seven years ago now, Nick Podell. Uh, and um, he's adorable. Uh, he is adorable and his girls are adorable. We've been adopted as uh, they are our grandlings now. And my daughter, one, one of his, his oldest daughter, uh, FaceTimed my daughter about a year ago and said, Atom, Atom, can, can, can we adopt you as our auntie? And then Autumn fl fell on the floor and collapsed. So, because we don't, we don't have any of our own grandkids yet. So, um, so we, have, we, we, have been, we have been grandfathered in to, to Nick's kids. You don't I'm look old enough sure for grandkids, if, so maybe uh, that's a good thing. Your daughter came My, home and said, guess what? You're going to be a granddad. You'd go, guess what? You're going to be a single mom because whoever did this is dead. But I'd be happy about it. I'd be happy on both ends because I've told her, I was like, you need to go to find catholicorphans.com. And that way you can find somebody that I don't have to compete with their parents. This would be awesome. And she's like, dad, I don't think there is a catholicorphans.com website. I was like, business opportunity. Well, I'm you sure heard it here first, people. Running that. Declan Finn will get right on that. <laughs> so how did your love of fantasy transition you into writing this? Well, I wrote high fantasy uh, for probably 10 years. Uh, and none of those stories will ever see the light of day because they are absolutely pretentious crap. Um, and uh, High um, fantasy tends to be. <clears throat> I, I'm not good at it. Um, you know, and, um, and so I, th that, that's how it got translated. So it got translated. So, so I, like, I love Tolkien. I love Terry Brooks, Shannara series. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm just going to write that. Uh, but it's just not me. Right. Um, so, uh, when, when you try to write something that doesn't fit who you are at your core, it shows. So, so years later, um, I ended up writing more contemporary fantasy and sci-fi. Uh, and I remember the first book that I gave to my wife and she looked like, like she was scared to death because she's like, how am I going to tell them that, that this too sucks? Because she told me that the, 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 the high fantasy was not good. Oh, and she was I absolutely right. I met your wife. She pulls no punches. No punches. Yeah. I was talking to quick segue. So I was talking years ago to a, to a guy who was giving me book advice. I was at my son's special needs school. And, um, and I didn't know why he was there. I was there to pick up my kid. And, um, and he says, so what do you do? And I was like, well, I do this and this. And he says, well, you know, anything else? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a, a novel. And he's like, oh, that's cool. What kind of novel do you write? And I told him I was writing a fantasy novel. And, um, and he asked me how I did it. And I told him, he's like, oh yeah, you're a discovery author. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that it had a, had a term. And then, um, uh, so then he told me who he was and I was like, that's cool. Nice to meet you, Brandon. And so forth and so on. And then, <laughs> and so it turns out he's Brandon Sanderson. And I'm wondering like, why the hell is this guy giving me advice on books? Right. 
This was he a had long, special needs kids. Uh, he was actually he's friends with uh, with one of the other track directors at Dragon Con. He's a life. teacher. Yeah, uh, and and so he you was at her school. Know. Right. So so she and she know she and Brandon know each other somehow, and um, and I was just there to pick up my kid, and then years later. In fact, at the last physical Dragon Con, uh, Seska uh, brought me into the room to, to chat with him again, and, and and I brought up that I really appreciated him talking to the special needs kids like that. He didn't. I don't think he remembered it, uh, but um, but yeah, that was that was an an early uh, conversion uh, story from from when I was doing high fantasy uh, to to the contemporary, and I gave my my wife this contemporary fantasy book that I had talked to him about, and. Um, and she came down like she had the flu, and she came down um, about um, I don't know, like ten hours later, and she's like, "I'm completely surprised. This is actually okay." Actually okay. <laughs> well, it didn't suck. It didn't suck. So, oh, um, so, yeah. so, so yeah. And she actually, she's a huge fan now, which is saying a lot because she's very, very critical. She's she she's probably my my harshest critic and my biggest fan. So that's nice. I mean, she didn't kick you out, make you sleep on the couch or whatever. So that's always progress. No. And then my, my, the latest book, she, she, um, I made her cry three times while I was, while she was going through it, um, in the good way. So, so, um, so yeah, she really, she really likes this last book, which is coming out in, um, uh, in August, which means it's, it's probably going to bomb. It's almost for sure. going to bomb. All right, on that happy note, we're going to ask the important questions. We're going to start talking talking books and stuff. So many authors let their own real-world influences, um, real-world experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments for you that really shaped the kind of storyteller you are? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so um, I, I think really it's um, it's my personal life with my family. Is that and, and I think part of the reason why my early writing wasn't as good is that there are some writers who are just born gifted, um, and I'm not one of them. Um, so uh, I needed to live a good amount of life, have a lot of experiences, good, bad, horrible, transcendently joyful, and and to create that kind of tapestry of of life. Um, and in Sentinels of Creation, the fantasy, the um, ultimately it really turns out that it's it's a it's a story about two people who are each half of the other uh kellen and, and shannon um and uh a lot of there's a lot of the the trials and tribulations of my own relationship with, with my wife in it um in that you know uh there's biological kids and adopted kids and special needs kids in this this messy thing we call a family that is bound together with um, all the types of love, right? So, so I, in all my work, there's this there's this weaving of the three types of love: the the eros, which is the kind you hear about almost all the time, right? That's the sex part, right? The the uh, the eros, the filial, which is the kind of uh, friendship uh, love you have, and then the agape, which you hardly ever hear about. Uh, and the agape love is the sacrificial form of love. That's the, I'm going to push my kid out of the way while the train hits me kind of love. That's the, you know, I'm going to go off to war so that my my wife and kids uh, or my husband and kids 
now uh, don't uh, don't have to suffer the slings and arrows of conflict. Um, and there's and that's really kind of foundational to all of my books, kind of weaving in it this 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 agape sacrificial form of love and really the power that it presents uh, to people. Okay. <laughs> Lots of um, Japanese sounding words, but but I can dig it. Um, so let's transition away from the writing side and talk about things from a fan angle. So have you gotten any cool fan art or had people cosplay your characters yet? Uh, all of the above. So I, uh, I've gotten some really cool fan art on Reddit. Um, I got, um, well, I got, hold on. There we go. These are, I love these guys. So I got um, pop vinyls of my of the two main characters in Sentinels of Creation, Shannon, nope, Shannon uh, and Kellen, gender bending. It says the camera's backwards. I don't even know where my hands are. Um, so, um, and then I got a um, uh, a decanter, a bourbon decanter uh, that has the has the uh, the town that Shannon's comes from and established in 1280 on it, which is when she was born. Um, so that was super cool with a uh, with matching glasses, one that says daft man, which is what she tells calls Kellen. And um, and then one that's uh, the other one's uh, uh, is Highlander, which is she's from the Highlands of Scotland, which is that's what he, what he, he at her. What's that? That's what he always yells at her. He does yell at her quite often. Yes. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Good to know. Um, so anybody actually dressed up as them yet? Yeah. So at, uh, uh, I guess, three or four Dragon Cons ago, uh, we caught sight of, of a Shannon. Uh, and and um, I thought that was super awesome. It was, it was, it was incredibly surreal. Um, That's it was not nuts. the best one. The best one is the Kellen one. Oh, you always dude. walk out the Kellen fit cosplay. Why don't you tell that one then? Oh, but I wasn't there for it. But apparently, Kellen, there was a Kellen cosplay, and uh, Robert's daughter really appreciated and liked it. And he was flirting with her, and he goes, No, you can't go off with her. It's him. I know how Kellen thinks, and if he thinks Layden identifies as Kellen, no, no, <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> No, no, no. Yes, that's that's absolutely true. But that was not the first time. So the first one was the one that was was crazy. Um, and then again, this is this is because you know being being you know not a J.K. Rowling or George R. R. Martin. These are these are seminal events for kind of authors at at, at my level. Um, I, I had um, this young gal run up to me with her parents. And she, she said, you, you wrote Sentinels of Creation, didn't you? These are my favorite books. Will you sign them for me? And my wife's like rolling her eyes going, I'm never going to be able to live with this guy now. And, uh, and so uh, that, was, that was super fun uh, to be recognized in, in, in public. It's, it's that perfect situation uh, where you, um, you're not famous enough to have it actually ruin your life, but it, but it happens on some rare occasions that kind of spice things up. Fair enough. So outside of those convention spaces, have you had people ask for your autograph? Uh, traffic nope. tickets don't count. I'm, I'm told. No, um, no, that that has not that has not happened. Robert's car is too smart to let him get a traffic ticket. 
I can see it now. Oh, you want me to sign your book? No, just sign, sign the traffic ticket, sir. Oh, you must like reading. No, no, sir. Really, please just sign the traffic ticket. <laughs> I did. I was sitting next to a guy on a plane that was reading one of the books on his Kindle. Uh, oh, that's and cool. Was, and so that was fun. Uh, I was like, what are the odds of that? And um, and so I was joking with him um, uh, uh, because I was like, what kind of book is that? That doesn't look very good. I forced him into defending my work. <laughs> did you at least like eventually tell him who you were? I, I did. I did. I asked him if he wanted me to sign his Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> did he say yes? No, he said absolutely not. <laughs> Because you just hazed him. Yeah, he said absolutely not, and this is why I don't like sitting in middle seats. <laughs> so, uh, what is the weirdest or funniest story about an interaction with a fan you've had since you started writing? That one, uh, Seska knows about. Um, it was at um, Mysticon, and I had done. A, I was doing a panel, and um, it was on. I think it was on sex and novels or something that I really shouldn't have been on. Um, and this woman came up to me and she said, um, well, your books, cause I always do the kind of thing where the, it's the implied, fade, right? So the, fade fade black. Black, right? the door, the door closes, you know, R Rob Petrie and his wife uh, and his wife are, are heading off to their twin beds and you know, they're going to push them together, but you're not seeing it. Um, but um, so this woman comes up and she starts describing the sexual relations that are behind the door that I closed. And she said, now isn't, isn't this what happened? And I'm like, uh, sure. Okay. If that's what you so, want to happen. So she was very specific. Um, and uh, it was, it was really uh, interesting um, to, to hear her go into that much detail from something that I really didn't write about. It was important to her. It was, it was. So yeah. moving on from that, can you give us your highlight re reel of uh, what you've written and put out in the world? Sure. So um, I have written six novels in the Sentinels of Creation series. There'll be seven total. I'm about 50,000 words into the seventh and last book, uh, which is uh, gonna uh, is scheduled anyway to come out in uh, January or February of next year. Uh, and uh, that's gonna be the longest one. I think it's probably gonna be around 150,000 words. All the other ones have been somewhere between 100 and 130,000. Um, so it may even be longer than that because there's a lot to wrap up and it's the last hurrah, right, for that series. I'm a real big fan of finishing your series. Uh, I've, I've, I've run into too many, well, not, not for the reasons you're thinking, Seska, people not just not finishing them, but people that even continue writing them. Every single author that I've talked with over a, over a bourbon or, or a beer ends up getting mad at their characters or their fans if they go past like eight, uh, or they get themselves trapped in some Gordian knot of, of plot lines that they can't untie. Um, so I made a decision to end Sentinels of Creation uh, after five books, and then it got extended to seven because I couldn't pull it off in five. But it's, it's, it's all- You can't pull it off in seven, you know? No, no, it's, I, I wrote, I, 
I wrote the last five chapters. So, so you know, if God forbid I get hit by a bus, someone can pull it together. So uh, one hopefully. of my favorite series is The Witches of Elendia and Kate Forsyth at the end of it, it was meant to be a trilogy and it ended up nine books. And uh, I'm on page like the last page and it's like, don't forget to pick up the conclusion of the trilogy. And I'm like, unless a meteor is going to come in and nuke everybody, there's no way you're finishing it in that. And one more book, and her books were thick, so uh, I, I'm. But at least she, at least she finished it, and she had it. She had the. She had every intention to finish it. Some some folks. It. She finished it in nine months. Yeah. Uh, so all right. So that's Sentinels of Creation, um, uh, Paradigm twenty thirty five, which is the near future sci fi kind of a mashup of Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, and. Uh, the Expanse, I guess, would be the three that I would I would say kind of yeah. a mashup of, of them. Um, although with a dusting of the X Men, according to an author friend of mine, uh, which I thought was interesting, an interesting perspective. Um, so that's a trilogy. The first book is in market. The second book is with beta readers, and that's coming out in August. The last book coming out in August of twenty one. Um, I also uh, wrote a novella for for JR um, called Isabella's Campaign. And that's part of the Storming Area 51 anthology, which pick it up. It's awesome. But best best value, uh, value per per word. The thing's a tome. Um, like 360,000 cool words. We had to reformat the vellum just to fit them all in. I won't do that again. <laughs> no. Uh, so so uh, what's interesting, JR, and you don't know this, so this is making some news for you. What's interesting about uh, Isabella's campaign is, is – um, uh, is that Nick went ahead and, and did the audio for me uh, and I never released it. So I just give it away to fans who, who review all my books. Uh, so if you review all my books, then it's a, pro it's a present that I give to them. But Isabella uh, uh, shows up in the second Paradigm book. Uh, and, cool. and so it ties that universe. And then in the epilogue of the... Uh, third paradigm book, which I haven't even begun, obviously, um, that links back to the Sentinels book series through Isabella. So, um, so that little novella that that uh, we wrote as part of Area Fifty One um, is uh, is actually kind of the creamy center between the cookies of uh, Sentinels and Paradigm. Yeah. I cracked Seska up on that one. <laughs> Isabella's a creamy center. You play that in your head. I'm an innocent lad. I don't know what you're talking about. Seska, why are you why are you turning red? Are you okay? Are you taking a drink of water? <laughs> and uh, after our cookie talk, um, why don't you tell us a bit about the Sentinels of Creation series, specifically A Power Renewed, which is book one. Um, where did you get the premise from the universe? Did you come up with the series, overindulging in psychedelics, Ouija boards, or just some tainted peach peaches or bad moonshine? JR wrote that, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I have a moonshine. I knew it. Um, so um, I did not have the concept for the whole series. I, in fact, the I, there's been three covers for A Power Renewed. On the first cover, didn't say book one because uh, I thought it was premature and pretentious because I didn't know if there'd be a book two. 
right? So then uh, it did really well. Uh, a lot of people loved it. Uh, so um, I was like, okay, now I have to decide if I'm going to commit to the series. So the concept behind um, Sentinels of Creation and A Power Renewed specifically is um, if the universe is built on the concept of, of creation and destruction, kind of a yin and yang, and you can't have one without the other. Um, and every universe was ultimately destroyed as part of the deal in order for it to be created. Um, and, and the incarnation of that creative force, God, if you will, uh, didn't like that deal, but uh, couldn't directly oppose it. Uh, and he would create these, these, these people, these sentinels of creation that would have, like Neo does with the Matrix, the ability to kind of bend things. They can't break them, but they could certainly bend things and make make things happen. And then if you were this person that existed outside of time and you were gonna move the cheese throughout millions of years, subtly, really subtly, so you couldn't get caught, um, what would you do? And I love the line of, uh, God draws straight with crooked lines. I think that's just an awesome line. Um, and Kellen, which is the main character of Power Renewed, couldn't be more of a crooked line. I got people that write to me and go, I love this book except all the profanity. I'm like, I wrote on the back of the book, Kellen weaves profanity like a, like a, like a paintbrush of a maestro. So um, he, he is an atheist. And there's nothing that ruins, a, a fan of mine has this put on a t-shirt, there's nothing that ruins an atheist day other worse than, than meeting an archangel. So uh, <laughs> so he is he is an agnostic slash atheist wa wa wavering and, um, and uh, the creative force is, is determined to draw a straight line using this very crooked person. And so ultimately it's his, it's his journey from that to the seventh book where he ultimately is the the final chess piece if you will to determine whether or not for the first time in all of the multiverse the destructive force that um eventually destroys all universes uh is going to be thwarted so it's a it's a it's a classic heroic journal journey going from a profane funny secularist uh, to what he ultimately has to be um, if, if the world is going to endure and, uh, and all the people surrounding him along the way that, um, that are equally, I think, interesting um, and in their own ways, um, not necessarily profane, but, but, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, uh, no, certainly fact, the Highlander is rather religious. And profanes at him whenever he profanes about God. It's very funny. yes, yes. She she is she is definitely an interesting character. Um, I love I love them all, and will be sad to see them see them go. Well, just don't George R. Martin them, and you can always come back. No, I, uh, I very rarely kill them off. In fact, I put in one of my author's notes that there's enough darkness in the world, and if you're looking for that, there's plenty of books out there. Um, so, um, it's, yeah. So, well, let's talk about, cause you just mentioned that you had three covers. So let's see the one that finally made the cut to stick around. Cause it is a really awesome cover. JR, that's your cue. 
I can only work as fast as the internet gods will let me. So can you uh, tell us about the cover? Yeah, so uh, this is a, a scene uh, where uh, inside of what, what, uh, what I call Creation's Workroom. So it's a, Creation's Workroom is a pocket universe uh, where the creative force, again, God, if you will, depending on you know, your own perspective, um, tested things out. Because uh, I've always been fascinated with, the, with, with how the universe is put together. Because as we, we slowly get smarter, we start seeing the fingerprints of some kind of intelligent designer, right? The way the, way, uh, the Trinity nuclear test, which is why my, in my sci-fi book, I, I put that in there. The, 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 uh, the way atoms are put together and how they can be taken apart in a rather destructive fashion, which shows you that you're not supposed to take them apart. Um, so, details. Uh, the details. Uh, so this is creation's workroom. So this is where all the things got tested and everything else. Uh, the character on the left is a, is a fallen angel, a demon called Asmodeus. Uh, Kellen is there in the midground, uh, And um, one of the Sentinel's capabilities is, is to create portals through uh, that create tears in creation. Um, and it's, it's the sci-fi equivalent of FTL, right? So if you want to get someplace really quick or get to some other dimension, then the sentinels can can do that. Uh, if you see on Kellen's arms those those runes, those are actual Enochian runes. I had to do some research on those. Um, so those are those are angelic Enochian runes that stream down um, Kellen's arms uh, and Shannon's arms when they are channeling some of that power. Uh, props to my daughter. Uh, she's the one that came up with that idea because she said, you know, no one's going to know if someone's cosplaying Kellen. It's just going to be some dude in a supernatural T-shirt. So you need to put those runes down his arm. What if runes ran down his arm? I was like, that's really cool. And then so we saw him at Dragon Con, some guy with runes running down his arm. She goes, see, <laughs> I told you. Um, and then of course, in the, in the background is Shannon, uh, uh, Shannon McLeod, who's, who's uh, quote unquote, the soul born. So uh, as, uh, as uh, they were both conceived in completely different times, uh, 800 years apart, um, and their souls became uh, into the into the, the the baby that was going to be them. Uh, they were both infused with this capability uh, to connect with each other. Uh, so she was uh, so so she and Kellen are were connected. And so one of her uh, one of her lines is, um, "You are mine before you were born, and I'll be yours after I'm dust." Um, and that's the connection between those two. And that's not creepy at all. <laughs> she doesn't think so. Sometimes when women love men, we say things. <laughs> or, or not even men, just other people. I know I've said some things that if I said it to anybody other than my own child, it would have been very creepy. Right. Hey, that's it. All right. I will love you forever. And I'll, you're never getting away from me. It sounds really kind of creepy sometimes. That's right. All right. So moving along to the book itself, what would your 30-second elevator pitch for this novel be? Uh, let's see. Uh, profane agnostic encounters the, the spiritual realm and finds out he's the last chance for salvation of the universe and says the universe is screwed. He did. It's a very accurate description. Okay. I thought it would be something along the lines, buy it or I break your kneecaps. 
that was. that works. That that's kind of the dedication in the book to all those <laughs> whose kneecaps have not been broken. I thank you. <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding. So so uh, what makes your series special? Um, I, I think that the uh, what what people have told me is they haven't seen before is kind of a um, a mythologi mythalizing if that's a word oh, I just invented it mythalizing of kind of the the uh, the, the the god devil creation entropy kind of mythos right um, and uh, it may be somewhat unique I don't think that really there are any new stories I think there's just new ways of telling old stories so uh, I have a lot of people that um, that tell me Jessica's <laughs> private messaging me. Um, the, um, uh, I have a lot of people that, that, that tell me that that's, that that's, uh, have you read this guy's book? Because it sounds like you're doing that. And I'm like, no, uh, what, if you start writing full time, your ability to read other people's stuff just shrinks. So I've had people say, you know, there's a little bit of Neil Gaiman's Lucifer in there. Uh, I've had people ask me if, um, uh, if there's some other characters from uh, from books that I haven't read, authors I haven't read, um, which I take I, I always take as a compliment because uh, you know if they're if they're a fan of somebody's work and they see some of mine in there, then I then I, they certainly take that as a, a as as compliment. Um, but so yeah, uh, I, I would say that it's 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 really being able to take those kinds of um, big themes that that have always been with us. You know, people wondered what caused lightning and then there was Thor. People caused, you know, they wondered what was justice and then there was this embodiment of justice. So all of those things that have always been answers that we've created to questions that we didn't know the answers to um, is kind of in the book. Uh, and obviously informed by my own uh, my own uh, kind of faith-based background. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a religious book by any stretch of the imagination, as many, many people, especially religious people have told me. Um, but there's a there's a thematic in there that I think is interesting um, because I think that ultimately uh, we are all looking for kind of answers to the to the questions that have no answers other than um, by belief. Okay, so now it's time for um, us to use Saska's made up favorite word uh, she likes to ask the tropalicious question. So, what uh, tropes? I used, you wanted us to use it in, in the the episode. What uh, tropes do you think Sentinels of Creation, uh, book one, hits the best? Um, I, I guess the biggest trope is is the savior of the universe trope. I mean, uh, there's a reason why it's it's a trope. I mean, you can do tropes badly, and you can do do tropes well. I'm not gonna presume to say which one I did, but but I don't think that tropes are necessarily bad. Uh, just like I think cliches have wisdom in them. Um, so, but yeah, I would say the savior of the universe, the whole, you know, Frodo and the ring kind of thing. So will there be a ring? Uh, there is a ring, but it doesn't have anything. It's not evil. It has no, it, uh, it, it plays a, a tertiary role at best. All right. So, what subgenre or genres do you think this story best fits into? I, I, contemporary. It used to be urban fantasy, but then they added a, a sub subgenre called contemporary fantasy. So I was thinking, added it. Nobody else. Man, they, they keep adding it, and you know what? You know, I think they they add it so that people who have like 
metadata sniffers can put their book in a category. I put, I saw some guy put a book who will remain nameless. You know who it is, Jessica. Yeah. He put his book in a subgenre called movie tie-in Stargate, which has like three books in it. And his didn't talk about Stargate. I've read so the you're book like, you're number, talking about. I've read the book you're talking about and I've watched um, years of Stargate. I, I all of your franchise ever, all of Atlantis. Um, yeah, no, there's no Stargate Diane. But it was number one. It was number one out of four books in Stargate without any reference to Stargate. So, so you didn't even use the same tropes. Forgotten Ruin is more of a Stargate novel than that novel. So I was going to ask, like, like, um, have Amazon create a category called like. Uh, a category of of fantasy, contemporary fantasy, Ross fantasy, right? And then and then I would be like number one in that category, which would have seven books in it that would all be mine. So what's the difference between contemporary fantasy and urban fantasy? So as it's been explained to me, is that uh, urban fantasy is is more set in cities. Uh, or urban urban areas, whereas contemporary fantasies, the, the the geography could be anywhere, but it has that. Uh, so, like Harry Potter might be considered, in addition to YA, which I don't really think it is, but it always gets thrown away. It's, it's just um, in the children's section. Who knows? Uh, it it would I would consider it as contemporary fantasy because it's it's you know you've got people with with you know cars and and the cars fly right. Um, so uh, urban fantasy. Um, you know, would be if uh, I guess if, if Spider-Man uh, didn't use technology uh, or radioactive spiders to have his superpowers and he just kind of flew around, then, uh, you know, that would be kind of uh, and cast spells in Manhattan. Then I guess that would be considered urban fantasy. All right. Well, now we're going to talk about the story itself, more specifically the main character or character. So what makes him or her unique in the crowded field of fantasy literature? Now, you've already told us a little bit about your two main characters because they were on the cover, but what makes them stand out in, in the field of, of the genres? So again, you, you find this out later on in the series when, you know, with creation playing the long game, but uh, Kellen has um, an eidetic memory. So, um, but he also has ADD. <laughs> which is a bad combination. So um, so he can't forget anything he's ever seen, read, or smelled. Anything that any of his senses that has, have experienced it, it's constantly, it's frozen in there perfectly, picture perfect. So he like he made the mistake of reading multiple translations of books, and now he's got those things in conflict. But it also allows him to do things like create temporal portals because he can perfectly uh, conceptualize what it would look like to see something that was visualized through tachyon particles. I'm getting too too nerdy, but but so so all of the all of the all of the magic system in Sentinels also has an analog in science, which I loved from early Piers Anthony books. He wrote this these um, this adept series, and half the world was fantasy and half the world was science, and I and 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 where they connect, it was like a two dimensions that connected like two hemispheres of your brain. And, and uh, I know a lot of people didn't like this series, but I, I loved it. So, so that's that's Kellen. So he he he's got an identic memory. He doesn't believe in pretty much anything initially. And he talks and, a lot. And he and he's got a smart ass mouth, and you just want to smack him. Uh, 
because he's very sarcastic uh, and uh, but he's loyal. He's incredibly loyal. Uh, and then and then uh, Shannon, um, the one of the other main characters, um, is um, she's kind of a, a displaced 13th century Scottish uh, kind of warrior maiden. Um, you know, and, and the and the first time she ends up in in Kellen's era, you know, she spends ten minutes flicking on lights, going, "What?" And then one of the other characters brings her a pizza, and she's like, "This is the best thing ever." Until she hands her a coke, and she goes, "I was wrong. This is the best thing ever." <laughs> I feel like we could watch that as a movie where they just go through thing after thing. No, this is the best thing ever. So does she, does she get to try ice cream? She does get to try ice cream, but still, pizza is the best thing. And because we're, it's based here in Atlanta. She goes to, you know, the one of the other characters is a fancy pants guy, and he's taking them all out for steak dinners. And 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 Shannon whispers to Kellen, and he's just like, "No, babe, they they don't have pizza. It's a steakhouse. And they have steak." And she's like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> so as Shannon is one of the main characters. Um, so are there any secondary characters that, uh, you particularly want to share some tidbits about for us today? Yeah. Well, I love, um, Megan Doherty. She's, uh, she was an early, uh, she's a female, um, core corpsman. So she's, she's, uh, she, so she's a, a kind of a, a medical, uh, person who, uh, in combat, one of the early women in combat, um, and, uh, and she is, I love her to pieces. She, uh, where Kellen evolves in, in his use of profanity and his hard edges get shaved off, Megan has absolutely no interest in that. Um, you know, she, her, her fire team got taken out by some werewolves and she's like, we're gonna go fuck them up. Cause she found out what Kellen could do. She's like, we're going to fuck them up. Um, and, and, and he's like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. I got training wheels. She's like, I don't care. They killed my boys. We're going, and he's like, yeah. "But nope." Um, so I love Megan. Uh, she is a, an incredibly sexual being. Uh, makes no apologies for it. She meets her counterpart, uh, and uh, in Sarah May, who you find out who he really is later on in the series. So I love her to pieces. Um, uh, Lucifer, uh, which I feel a little guilty because people really love Lucifer, and I don't know that that's. I don't know if that's a good thing, uh, but Lucifer, um, Lucifer is not, I, what I like about him, the way I've written him uh, is he's complicated. He's not two dimensional. And I was always interested in trying to figure out what would be the motivation for this, this being, right? So I kind of explore that and it comes, it finally comes to fruition in the last book, but there's hints in it uh, as early as the, um, as the third book that, um, that sometimes the villain of a story is the villain in, in text he had no intention of writing. Uh, it doesn't excuse what you do. Uh, your actions are still your own. Uh, and that's, I, I really, I'm really fascinated with how his story unfolds. So, um, and I've gotten a lot of praise and a lot of shit for him. Uh, and I think that's good, right? Because if, I, I think the worst thing you can do as an author is write things that no one cares about. Um, so if people are passionate on either side of the equation, I think that you're doing your job. I would have always said that the worst thing you could do as an author is believe your own hype. Because, <laughs> you know, when you do a lot of podcasting and you set up all these interviews, you, you deal with some interesting characters. 
And you could definitely peg the, the ones that believe their own pressers. <laughs> so yeah. having said, because you mentioned villains, do you have a villain? Because it doesn't sound like Lucifer is your villain. Not really. He tries to be, but but he um, <laughs> I he succeeds. He succeeds in some place. I, I I you know I guess he's little v villain. He's he's more he's the more chaos. Villain. <laughs> he's more chaos than he is villain. He, Lu he Lucifer reminds me of a phase I went through in school where um, everybody told me, oh well, you just can't get in trouble and. I cut class. I smart mouthed to the teacher and I still couldn't get in trouble. And I was trying so hard to not yeah. be the big girl. And um, apparently, and nobody believed it. Yeah. So, so I, the, the true villain is, is, um, is destruction. So, so, so at the end of the day, there's a, there's a force that just intends to end anything. But we don't um, see that the real, the first, the the real villain behind, uh, behind it all until later. In the right. Series. So, so you get through these initial villains, and they're and they are. I mean, because it's it's like you know, not everybody can be Hitler, right? So, so you, you've got God. you've got, yeah, right. So you've got these mini bosses, you know, uh, and 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 you're like these these guys suck, boy, I hate him. And then what I wanted to do was I wanted to kind of peel the layers off and go, I hate this guy. I hate this guy. He's bad. He's bad. Um, and then kind of go, let me show you what real bad is. Um, let me show you what, what the ultimate bad is. Um, so the, so then it creates this contrast. Uh, and that's part of what I wanted to do with the Lucifer character is like, boy, he's bad. But then when you compare that to what creation's ultimate adversary is, and it's happened sometime in the series where, where the revelation of one of the characters is like, wow, I always thought he was your adversary. He meaning Lucifer was your adversary, but this dude, wow. And that's what I wanted people to have that kind of wow moment. Okay. So um, how would you think your characters would respond if they found you in a back alley? If they knew that you were the author that created all Yeah, they knew you were the author. And then they met you in a back alley, like, oh, you're Robert W. Ross. You're the guy on the cover. Um, I think I think Lucifer would say something on the order of, you didn't make me boring, and I do hate boring, because he's always saying that. Um, uh, Kellen would, would probably say, um, thank you for hooking me up with Shannon, because she's so far outside of my league that I, that, that I owe you. Um, and, and Megan would have said, why do you keep talking about my tits? <laughs> <laughs> no, she wouldn't She'd say they're glorious, but why do you keep talking about them? That's true. You're and then right. That begs the question what his wife would say about him talking about her tits. <laughs> oh, I bet his wife, his wife has no problem about it. No problem at all. No <laughs> problem at all. Because, all right. because she knows she knows that 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 all the boobs in my books are hers. <laughs> that should go on a t-shirt on your merch store. That is the best <laughs> line ever. All right, Saskia, you get to take the training wheels off and try the new question we just added to the lineup. That's a, a living fun laughing. Um, okay, so <laughs> so give us a peek, 
sneak peek into how the sausage was made. Were there any cool scenes or ideas you had to cut from the final book that you plan to use later? I mean, we what? just talked about tits. Now we talk about sausage. Um, that was not intentional. I promise not. you, dear listener. All right. Um, so, um, so yeah, both. So, um, in the, uh, I'm trying to remember these books now. In the fourth book, A Burden of Chaos, um, Kellen makes a promise to someone in that book. Uh, and uh, I had, and I love this, I really do, because some authors don't. And I think that that's because they're successful too early. I think that people that have too much money or too much success too early, they, they don't appreciate stuff. So I had this author or this, this reader write to me and they said, Kellen made a promise and he didn't fulfill it. And I was like, I know, I know he didn't um, because I had forgotten about it. And um, and then I was doing alpha reads. One of my alpha readers said, hey, Kellen didn't finish this promise. I'm like, oh crap, do I have to rewrite that? That's a, that's a seriously extra chapter at least. And she's like, no, it would be great if you had that solved in the first chapter of the next book. I was like, good idea, especially because it means I don't have to work right now. <laughs> so, so, um, so that was a chapter that that uh, that I ended up using later. Right, it was about this resolution of this promise that Kellen made uh, in a different temporal spot uh, that he had to resolve, um, and it got resolved in I think a, a much better way than it had I written it at the same time because I got to I got to marinate in all the reviews and I got to read about all these different people and things they liked and they didn't like, which is another thing I think that if you're too successful you don't do is you really got to read those reviews, the good ones and the bad ones, and take them to heart. Um, not to the point where you'd like crawl in a ball in a, in a ball and, and whine about these bad reviews because I've gotten some doozies. Um, and I did initially crawl into a ball, um, but I've got over it. Um, so um, and, and then the other one was was a, a scene where my alpha readers were like, this is absolute shit. You need to cut this entire chapter. Uh, and and they were right because um, the world influences you as a writer. Um, if you're paying any attention at all. So I, I love this movie called The Greatest Showman. Uh, I thought it was great. My daughter and I loved it. We were singing the songs. We were all doing this stuff. And I had a scene where Kellen and Shannon were, were fighting these wraiths. And <laughs> so bad. And, and they, were, they were humming the song from the movie. Um, and, um, and my alpha readers were, were like, to a, to a man and a woman, they were like, circling shit <laughs> um so so i cut it I, I cut the whole thing um and reworking the, reworking it um take took out all all the greatest showman references which would have dated the book for one thing um and then it was just bad to in other ways and uh it ended up being uh, i love that the idea of fighting to music so i kept that in there um and um it's a scene where Kellen is like, boy, this is a bad scene. We, we, there are a lot of nasty nasties around. We need to get back up. But these nasties were, were sucking the life force of kids in order to create a portal to destruction, to allow destruction in. And Shannon is very maternalistic. She, she, she is all about life, loves kids. And she's like, mm -mm. and he shouldn't say anything. She's just tapping her, tapping her boot, and Kellen looks over and like, "What are you doing?" And he's ta she's tapping, and she's like, 
don't you fight those people. We have to get help. Don't do it. And she pulls out this earbud and she hands it to him and jumps over a railing. And it's it's um, the immigrant song, which is which is a ripping good song for fighting people. Much better than the greatest showman. So um, so he's got this one earbud and he's like, ah, oh, damn it. So uh, so then he jumps in because he's not gonna let his wife uh, or girlfriend or whatever she is um, uh, fight alone. Does he ever get to go back to her time to see what that was like? Oh yeah. Oh, those are fun. Yeah, he does, and he hates it. He, he ends up scre- he's screaming at the at the roof of a cottage. I hate the 13th century because he's lying on some bed. He's like, "What is this? What is this stuff with rocks and twigs? This thing sucks. I want my I want my Tempur-Pedic. So, what did he think about haggis? Did he get to try haggis? Uh, I don't I don't think he did get to try haggis. I think that he he. Uh, he said Scottish food is, is based on a dare and you wouldn't eat it. Okay. So, I um, that. but he got to, he got to find, find demons and he've got to, his, her, Shannon's, Shannon's da wanted to burn him as a witch. That was fun. Oh yeah. So, you know, I've got to, I'm going to have to go buy this one and I don't have credit. You're going to make me wait a month because I'm going to get my credits next month. But all right. So what can you tell us about the universe and miniseries, the worlds where the story is written are just as much character as the protagonist. So can you give us a hint of what the uh, listeners, readers, viewers can expect from the uh, worlds that you've created? Well, the, um, the Sentinels world is pretty straightforward. Um, it's, it's written in linear time even though there's a lot of timey-wimey stuff. Kellen and Shannon and the other characters go back into time, uh, all different times. Um, and uh, But it takes place from 2016 to 2022, uh, 2015 to 2022. So it's a, so a seven-year uh, time period, and uh, each book comes out in the year that it happens. So A Scion of Amber Light is the book that just came out, and it's, it's 2021. And Kellen makes multiple references to what a dumpster fire 2020 was. Yes. Just a complete shit show, right? Um, and um, and I think that's kind of cool. So so uh, so that, but that's it's very straightforward. So whatever was happening in in the world is happening in their world because it is in fact contemporary fantasy. It is our world. Um, Paradigm 2045, which is the sci-fi, which no, we're not, we're not getting in detail on that here, but but it's set in 2045. Um, and we do uh, have the archive of that interview we did for 2045, and we'll release that once we get it. So we this, have episode, a- this episode goes out on Sunday, uh, and then we're Easter. going to is it? Yes, oh, that was, that's because we knew how religious you were, and we wanted to respect you. Yeah, no. yes. so. <laughs> And of course, you say timey wimey, and instantly I've got the quote from the tenth doctor that I'm typing into the chat for Saska. But um, I already know the quote. Yep, and 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 uh, Kellen makes reference to that specifically. Uh, there's a lot of Doctor Who references uh, throughout. Uh, lot, uh, there's a lot of pop culture references throughout, but but Kellen is a huge fan of Doctor Who, and so is his um, his clerk in his bookstore, uh, Juliet, um, and. Um, there's and so, yes, he, reference to our favorite cult con. That's true. The entire second chapter of the second book is called Dragon Con. Okay. 
That's where so, Kellen and Kellen and Shannon actually see Kellen and Shannon being cosplayed. Uh, and he was like, what the hell is that about? Because it turns out uh, I, I took a piece from Robert Heinlein, which I love about that is that he, he I think he invented it, this concept of, of world as myth. Uh, and very few people either remember it or use it. The concept is that uh, a significant amount of belief can create reality and a significant amount of reality can create belief. So uh, in, in his world, in Heinlein's world, they're, they're tooling around in this spaceship called the Gay Deceiver, which is just a badass name, with an AI that controls the ship. Uh, and they run into characters from Wizard of Oz because enough people had been in this realm of Wizard of Oz that, effect, that it, it impacted the, the, the mind of L. Frank Baum and he created the book Wizard of Oz. And so some of that is, 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 in, um, is in, in my books, not related to anything Heinlein did, but, but, but in that the concept. there are the concept. And so uh, Kellen runs across fictional characters and they're very subtle and you could miss them easily because I don't, I, I won't put words in other authors' mouths because they're not my characters. So, uh, but you might see someone and they're like, wow, I'm a huge fan of that, that book series. And that, that character looks like one of the books from that series. Um, and so there's some of that in there, but a lot of, a lot of Doctor Who. So Kellen tries to describe weird shit that goes on when time travel. Um, and um, he just like timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. So, so he uses that, then Shannon picks it up. And then one of my, one of the things that, that people seem to like the most is when he's trying to explain the, the dangers of time travel. And he's like, you, can't, the, the, you, you gotta be careful, Shannon, because she does some really crazy shit. Um, so does uh, he. That, yes, but she did something particularly bad when it came to the Beatles. Um, and, and, um, and he's like, you're gonna create a paradox. And she's like. A pair of dogs? A pair of dogs? Uh, or they must have been really bad dogs, and he never lets her forget that. Boy, does he never let her let let her live that down. Um. <laughs> so. All right, so um, just letting that marinate for a second. So, Sentinels of Creation: A Power Renewed is clearly a part of a series. I know because it says so on Amazon. There are currently six books out. And a seventh book you mentioned was being planned. But after that, is their story done? Will there be more from these characters in side series? Um, where do you see this going? Is it when the seventh book ends, is that the end? Never say never, right? As soon as you, as soon as you do, something else happens. But um, I could see there being some, some novellas uh, or side quest novels. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask about... Um, some of the, some of Shannon's adventures before she met Kellen uh, back in uh, 13th century Scotland. Um, I, uh, uh, one of the one of the characters um, that you meet is the uh, is is an eternal uh, centurion from Rome uh, who did something around the turn of the century, turn of the first century that that, that earned him that uh, that immortality. Uh, and in the last book, he ends up. Um, hanging out with SEAL Team 6 in Afghanistan, killing werewolves. Um, so, so, so I got a bunch of people asking for, for those. Um, I, I'm, not a, I'm not particularly, I don't think I'm good at writing military sci-fi or in fantasy, so I don't, I'd have to really, I have to talk to a couple of people that are really good at it. Uh, Seska knows them. Um, I don't want to throw their name out. They're associated with me by, they're like, why did you say my name? Oh my God, now people think of me and you. 
And so, um, so yeah, so, but, but um, as I mentioned, the epilogue of the paradigm book, the, the main character of the paradigm book uh, will meet a character from the Sentinels universe 23 years into the, after the end action of the seventh book. Um, so the, as I mentioned, it's linear time. So the seventh book comes out, God willing, in 2022. 23 years from then is, 20, is 2045. And the last scene of the last book of Paradigm will be when a character from Sentinels walks up to talk to Charlotte Omandi, who's the main character of uh, Paradigm. And that could spawn an entire interesting mashup of, of fantasy and sci-fi. Um, so do you uh, foresee doing that for every series afterwards where you link all of them in the same universe? No, because I promised my daughter that this, this, uh, this, this never, it's only happened to me once. I woke up with an entire book in my head. Um, so I wrote down the, the, the outline about 18 months ago and it's, um, it's, it's not a love, a romance, but it is a love, a love story set, set in 20, 2020. Um, with all the crap that was going on. Um, and uh, she uh, is desperate for me to write that, but that would be a one and done. It would be, it wouldn't be a series. It would be just a, a, a one, a one story. Um, but the deal is she's going to have to narrate it. So. Oh, that'll free. Yeah. So um, obviously, you know, you have your own, internally consistent rules from the from the science and technology and the magic, but what sort of magic or tech would you take from your books? Oh, I think I would love to be able to do temporal portals. I mean, that would, that would just be a disaster for me to be able Urban to go would back never and, be the same. Uh, there'd just be less of it. <laughs> <laughs> but more of it at your house more of it at my house and Kellen does that. So, so it would basically, you want to know what, what I would do, what he does. So he went, he went back in time and to when the McAllen Scotch uh, distillery was founded and had him put a cask away for 200 years <laughs> and she have it shipped to him or 100, 150 years. Um, I'd buy Apple at eight, you know, it would be bad, but that's what I would do. I would I, I would love that, and I meet all sorts of historical ca characters. Shannon gives to Kellen crap for that. She she comes home and there's a painting on the wall, and she goes, "Where did you get that?" It's like I don't know, I, I, somewhere. And then his his fancy friend comes in and goes, "Dude, that's a Van Gogh." He's like, "He wasn't making any money." <laughs> <laughs> all right. So other than you know the technology we would expect from the period that that it's set in, is there anything that you're adding? Um, or yeah. any magic? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, in a previous life, I did. A, I, I was in charge of a number of artificial intelligence teams in um, in doing advanced research. So, um, so I, I put a lot of that in my books because it's it's something that I actually know, um, and uh, it scares people, especially because it's when they ask me, "How real is that?" and I go, "It's probably already happened." So um, that's how real it is, um, and uh, so I put I put a lot of that in my books, um, uh, and then and then I, I stretch it a little bit with with nanotechnologies in in more of the sci-fi, but um, but but what what I try to put in all of them is even in the fantasy, 
uh, there are constraints that are based on the physical world. Um, and I got I get into trouble with um, with some folks when I when I talk about when we, we talk about uh, magic. Magic and miracles are hard to distinguish. Um, and my point is that if you were to if you were the intelligent designer of, of a world as complex as ours, assuming we're not living in a simulation, you go through all that trouble to build it. How often would you break your rules rather than find a way to use the rules you created to make things miraculous happen? So, um, so really that's kind of how I build uh, most everything is that, um, is that the reason why we think things are miraculous or magical is because we haven't figured out how the underlying things were put together to make it happen. Okay. Next question is your favorite too. Um, how does your universe and how did you go about creating the fantastic creatures you have in this universe? We can talk about aliens on another podcast. So um, I can't take a whole lot of credit for that. Um, because again, it, it gets back to the premise of, of are there any news stories or just retellings? I would say that my um, my perspective on the the characters is 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 my own and unique to a large degree. But there's there's werewolves, right? There's vampires, there's gin, which you don't see a lot of gin other than like Robin Williams' blue gin, you know, from from Aladdin. Um, so there's there's gin um, and there's um, there's the fae. Um, and you don't see a lot of the Fae um, being portrayed. Um, but so my Fae came about from the first human laugh and human cry. And there's there's the, the Twilight Fae and the Dark Fae and the Light Fae. And then how they each have their courts. Um, I like and the then dog. there's, what's that? The dog. The Dire Wolves. Yeah, that's interesting. So so that one, I guess that one's probably completely unique. Uh, so uh, so there's, a, there's a line of, 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 uh, the first dog, uh, which um, is from Lupa. Lupa was the first dog, uh, which historically Lupa is the wolf uh, that that um, nursed Romulus and Remus at yes. the founding of Rome. Uh, so she is an immortal being and um, takes her canine wolf type lovers from time to time. And her genome is dominant. So anything that she bears is Lupa's. And and um, and they walk with man, and they choose who they walk with, and and you don't want to screw with them, you really don't. Um, and um, whoever they bond with, they can share their thoughts. Um, but um, and in my book, the dire wolf Kara, or his his full name is Kadiad Usul, which is which is noble friend in Scots Gaelic. Um, he uh, he's like a a rowdy teenager. <laughs> And uh, uh, people really love him talking to people uh, when he when he when he shares his thoughts with with Shannon and Kellen. I think he's awesome. All right. So before we let you go, is there anything that we didn't ask about Sentinels of Creation, a power renewed, that you want to tell us before we wrap this puppy up? No, you guys asked a whole lot of really great questions. Some of the best I've had, so I'm not blowing smoke. It's really, really good. Um, I'd say, you know, if um, it's a fun, it's a fun romp. You know, it's it's. It, I, I don't know anybody. There's people who haven't liked it, 
Um, it's got really good ratings overall, uh, but the, but no one has said, you know, I felt worse after reading it. Um, and I, I would say it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, there's deeper meanings if you choose to scratch for them, but I, I really hate when creators try to beat a message into your head. Um, my job is to entertain you. That's my job. Uh, and if I've entertained you, then I do my job. And if you want to look for something else that I may have snuck in there somewhere along the way, um, then, then have a good time. I've got people that have read the books four or five times and they find stuff that I didn't even put in there. So, um, uh, but, but I think it's a lot of fun. I think the characters are real. That's probably the biggest thing I get is that, um, the dialogue, it sounds like real people. And that's one of the biggest compliments I get from Nick is that he, he says, I can't wait to read your next book because it's like, I, my friends are back. And that's really freaky because he, his voice is them. So he says, I love to hear them talk in my head in the booth. And it's, it's because he and I become good for such good friends. When I'm writing, I hear his voice in my head as I'm writing, which is also pretty creepy. Okay, and that's saying a lot that he thought it was a good interview because he started the the pre-show stuff by telling us how we were the worst podcasters ever because his previous podcast that he just did sent him booze. So uh, since I'm it's telling true. you guys, you should tell that story real quick so that way they know to check the other side out because we, you know, share the love. Okay, uh, the 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 podcast was the three three biggest losers, and um, they uh, they sent me a bottle of. Uh, I had it here because I was telling them the story. They sent me a bottle of horse soldier bourbon, which is uh, distilled by special forces guys, the first guys to go into Afghanistan after the towers fell. Um, and um, the bottles are cast by um, uh, molds created from the wreckage of 9-11. Of, um, and the, the, uh, the image on the front of the bottle is the statue of the 12 guys that went into Afghanistan that were able to halt the progress of the, of the Taliban uh, at the time. Uh, and they all came back too. Uh, not all, you know, not without some damage, but they all came back too. Um, so they sent me that bottle um, and I really appreciate the uh, Three Biggest Losers. Um, and, um, and I appreciate you guys. Um, I think it's really awesome because your books definitely have a strong thing of agape and that definitely is. So is yeah, the, I'm a, I, you can see the flag in the background. You know that, that's in my stories as well. So my dad was a, 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 a career Marine Corps officer. Uh, that's his flag from when we laid him to rest in Arlington, and those are the seven bullets they fired. Um, and um, that's a, it's a it's a theme in my books too is honoring the service of of, of all of the all of the folks, and, and you guys are 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 among them, obviously. So I, I appreciate each of your uh, commitment and service. Uh, it means a lot to me, and I and I make sure it's in all of my books, at least uh, at least subtly. Okay, and if you want to find the three biggest losers, uh, just look that up on Facebook, and they have a group. They even look like they built a submarine in their basement, which is kind of cool. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, you want to hear him talk on the subject of his books and other places with other questions, that's the place to go. So, but we have the best questions. Yeah, sure we did. Absolutely. Because we wrote you, you actually did. You did have the best questions. So we've refined the interview process over at this point, four years of interviewing. <laughs> um, so Robert, how can listeners find and viewers find you? Uh, you can find me on my, my I have a Patreon. Uh, if you want to support my work, that's uh, patreon.com forward slash my full name, Robert W. Ross. Uh, 
Um, you can also find me in most social places as Ross Author. So Reddit, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Ross Author. Um, and my uh, publisher site is uh, www.spartamac, S-P-A-R-T-A-M-A-C.com. Uh, and that's where you can get signed books and uh, uh, that unreleased copy uh, or that private release copy is a better way of putting of Isabella's campaign. Uh, after you buy the, the physical book from, from JR, you can get the audio book of Just Mine from me. Um, and uh, that's at spartamac.com. All right. And as always, if you want to support an author, buying their books is a great way to do it. Um, or Patreon. Uh, you and reviewing them. And reviewing them. Uh, yep. You you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash a blasters tack and tack blades backslash a blasters tack and tack blades. Our Twitter is twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash blasters and blades podcast. If you want to throw a little bit of a coinage in the tip jar, it's buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. And be sure to put it's for the podcast. Now, we've been at this an hour and 20 something minutes. So, Seska, I think it's time for you to bring us home. <laughs> okay. So, thank you for spending your precious time with us for the absentee donut eating Nick Garber, uh, J.R. Hanley on, on Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast next week. At, we'll be back next week at the same time where we indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, things that go boom, and ADHD. Look,